The music is provided by Calvary Quartet. You can have more of their music at calvaryquartet.com or log on to our website at gospelbaptistchurch.com. I can still recall the day when Jesus saved my soul, when His blessed Holy Spirit came and took control. I trusted in His precious blood, my sin to atone. I want to talk to you about a passage I heard tell by rumor that Dr. Crabb preached on this text while I was gone, but I would doubt if it will be the same. I just doubt if it'll ever be the same. Two preachers preach on the same text. Usually we'll pull a couple different truths off of it and go a different direction, but it it does happen. It does happen. And praise the Lord, if it happens, I always figure God, I ask God, what do you want me preaching? If God tells me to preach the same thing he preached while I was gone, then that's what God wants us to hear. You didn't get it when he preached it. But you're going to get it now. And Moon will probably preach out the next time. So Moon may be the third guy to preach out the same text. Who knows? Hey, Bible Bob Jones says, don't ever be ashamed to repeat yourself. All I can say, if I ever preach a text twice or three times, get it. Get it by the grace of God. Songs of Solomon. Songs of Solomon, one of my favorite books. Chapter 2, verse 15. says, take us the foxes. The little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. The phrase that I want to talk about is a little foxes spoil the vines. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 1, written by Solomon also. He said, uh, so doth a, uh, he said a dead fly has cost the ointment of the apothecary to send forth the stinking savor. So doth a little folly him that is reputation for wisdom and honor. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6 says, Your glorying is not good, know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Also repeated Galatians chapter 5, verse 9. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 says, Looking diligently, lest any man fail the grace of God. That means it's possible to fail in this life. Not to die and go to hell as a born-again Christian, but to fail. And, and to eventually stand before Jesus at the uh, Bema seat and to have your works burnt up. The opportunity to serve God is such a privilege. Man, we get to do this. We get to do the bus ministry, and we get to pass tracks out, and we get to go door to door, and we get to read our Bibles, and we get to pray, and we get to do this stuff because the reward is disproportionate to the amount of work. You get what I'm talking about? The reward's going to be a lot bigger than the amount we work. And when you get on that side and understand that principle of reward and labor, and then your works are burned up, you'll understand what failing of the grace of God means. Lest any root of bitterness. Now, root's just a little thing. Just a little root of bitterness. Just a little root of bitterness. Springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. All of us influence people in every direction. Uh, we may not know it, we may not understand it, but we do. Often in my preaching and teaching, I spend some time as God leads me to, ma- to warn you as this morning. By the way, I tried to take my gloves off this morning. I said some things I normally wouldn't say, in a, in a, in a, but you know what? 
I'm tired of having people come into me and say they're addicted to pornography. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of born-again Christians committing immorality. I'm tired of preachers failing in that area and deacons failing in that area. And I'm not, I'm not going to beat around the bush. That's, I've never been one of my weaknesses. Tonight I want to talk to you about kind of a warning sermon also. Much of what I preach on is warning about major sins and pitfalls in life. But tonight I'm actually going to talk to you about some small things that can start in your life and eventually infect it and ruin it. The Bible spends some time in warning us of minor things, if I may say it that way, or a little leaven, or a little folly, or little foxes, or a root of bitterness. I know we preach against immorality and covetous and hate, lying and stealing, adultery and murder. Those are big things, and we need to preach about it. These are considered major sins in the Christian, but why do I see so many mature Christians fall into sin and ruin after long years of salvation experience and walking with Christ? It really should not be. It should not be. Christians who read their Bible regularly should not fall. We should not. Christians who witness for Jesus Christ seriously and honestly, should not fall and fail the grace of God. People that attend a, a, a Bible-believing, preaching church that is honest in, in, in preaching the Word of God, those people should not be the part that fail the grace of God. Those people that have positions and calls of pastors and deacons and responsibilities and, and, and have gone to Bible school Wow, gone to Bible school and had Bible courses that the average Christian never takes years to get in, in, in the preaching of, of, of two and three hours a week compared to Bible school where you're, you're going 40 hours of classroom in one semester for one three-hour credit course. An acceleration of truth. Man, those Bible students should never fail the grace of God. What happens? What happened? How do the little foxes spoil the vine? How does the one fly destroy the whole medicine? How does the little leaven leaven the whole lump? How does this little root of bitterness defile many? I looked up how, and I mean by, by uh, scientific fact, how little foxes spoil vines. And I found out at my own house, rabbits do this very similar thing. The little foxes are known to find a favorite place to hide among the leaves of the vining grape plant. It's kind of their little den. And, and these grapes, as they're just beginning to ripen, they gnaw, they begin to gnaw at the base of these vines, which, which possibly can destroy the whole vine, ultimately the vineyard. But and then when the grapes begin to come, they only eat the newly ripe grapes, and then they eat a grape here and a, uh, out of a, bun, a bun, bunch of grapes. They may eat one or two here and one or two there. Now, I found blackbirds do the same thing with uh, my uh, uh, grapefruit. I have a be had a beautiful grapefruit tree, and it produced, uh, oh, my seedless, sweet, pink grapefruit. And, and blackbirds would come in. By the way, about this time of year, a little later, the blackbirds would come in of a day or two, and it was strange. I didn't see them all year long. 
And all of a sudden, the blackbirds would come in, and then they'd leave. And I'd go out there to get my grapefruit, and there'd be a hole in one. So what they were doing, they would go get a drink. They'd, they'd put their beak in one, take a drink out of a big old grapefruit, then go to the next one, take another little drink. And, of course, once they put the hole in the grapefruit, you know, it withers in that spot. Ain't nobody wanted to eat that thing. It happens in flies. In the orange, in the orange crops, a fly will come and lay a little egg in a small orange, and it grows up pretty soon. That egg hatches, you know, gets to be a worm in an orange. Who wants to eat an orange with a worm? Don't raise your hand. Eventually, these little foxes would ruin these clumps of vines, as I saw blackbirds do, as I've seen rabbits. I told you about my rabbits. I planted a whole row of, of cocoa plums. Uh, in fact, they planted 110 of them. Uh, Two about 150, 75 feet this way, 175 feet this way, and uh, spent a thousand dollars to have them planted. And, and everybody told me they were just uh, you couldn't hurt them. The bugs didn't hurt them. Nothing hurt them. Coca plums are bulletproof. I was told by really reliable people. Then all of a sudden, I had like whole sections of this hedge die. I got pros out there and had looks at. Look, I've never seen that before. I don't know what that is. Are these supposed to be able to grow? What I ended up finding out, the rabbits, I noticed I had a lot of rabbits. And they were happy. And these rabbits were burrowing in under these uh, cocoa plums. And my, my, my philosophy or my theory is that they're gnawing on the bark. Well, most of you know if you take the bark around anything uh, 360 degrees, it's dead. You can go any tree you want to eliminate, just take the bark off. And a three hundred but that and it's dead. It's gone. You don't have to worry about um, Chinese beetles or whatever them pine beetles. By the way, they're back. Pine beetles in one of my trees. It's thick on one of my trees. I saw the other day. I know you don't care, but I thought I'd say that. I bet I've cut down fifty trees. Fifty, and I've been there fifteen years. Fifty trees. The pine borers. You ever gone out west? You've gone out west, seen what the pine borers have done to our, to our western area. They have just decimated. Whole sections are just brown and dead. No wonder they have fires. That's old dry pine, brother. That'll burn. They've decimated some places. 90% of the trees are dead. My wife and I drive through there, and it'd just be all brown. I said at one time, Kathy, this was just beautiful. Just a little itty-bitty bug called pine borer. See, a lot of things in life don't have to be real big. A lot of times you and I, we worry about the big things Forget about the small things, but the small things oftentimes will take you out. That must be what happens to mature Christians. The mature Christian is not going to fall for a girl coming up and presenting herself to you. You're not going to fall for a guy wanting to sell him dope. Uh, a guy's not going to fall for the big stuff, the, the big frontal. It's going to be some sort of a subtle thing, some small thing, a little fox, a fly, something. Well, when the Bible says, when you least expect it, it'll come on you. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Do you ever take that verse to you, for yourself? No, don't think, hey, that's a good verse for Lytel. That's a good verse for Kathy. That's a good verse for Troy. That's a good verse for Andrew. That's a good verse for Moon. No, put her here. That's a good verse for me. When you think you stand, you say, well, Brother Bill, I know the word of God well enough now. I'm not going to be fooled. Is that 
How do you explain a guy that goes through Bible college, is in the ministry for 16 years, and loves the Lord, from anything you've been able to look at, uh, commit immorality, divorce his wife, get out of the ministry? How, how do you explain that? How do you explain that? Brother Tom had a preacher in Chattanooga that you were going to spend the rest of your life there. And he had a, he had a wife and three kids, didn't he? Wife and one kid? Where do I, where do I get the three kids out? And and uh, it, it, Tom was telling me, and of course my memory's so bad now, I'm about half afraid to go on with it. But uh, I think he ran off with another woman. And what Tom Tom's uh, observation to me, which I thought was very astute, was he said the woman he ran off with was uglier than his wife. Now, not only is it a wicked sin, but it's just stupid. I told Tom, you ever see me run off with another woman? She is going to be a head turning knockout. Consequently, that's why I've never run off with any other woman, because I'm ugly. But, you know, I'm trying to be a kid here. Don't take, overtake me serious. Go home, write it up, and don't do it. But, I mean, really, just logically speaking, Tom and I looked at each other and said, Tom says, I never could understand it. He had a perfectly lovely wife with three children. I think Tom's memory's going. And, <laughs> and, Tom, look at each other. You know, he's 77, I'm 63. And I mean, it's got to be his memory, not mine. Mature Christians, man, they've already passed a bunch of tests. They quit smoking, quit carousing, quit bar hopping, quit cussing, quit hating, quit watching pornography. They pray regularly, read the Bible, uh, witness regularly, go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night. The Bible says, ooh, hey, hey, watch out. When you think you stand, you think you got it, you think you're in the gate, you think you made it, beware, lest you fall. So what does that teach us? That teaches that we never can relax. You never can coast in the Christian life. I'd like to be able to tell you, you can coast. I'd like to be able to tell you, oh, you don't have to pray anymore about that. You don't have to ask God to save you and deliver you from evil anymore. But Jesus tells his disciples, that's what I want you to pray. This is a prayer. This is the pattern of the prayer. I, and I just, I just think it's understood that that was to be done every day. Regularly. <clears throat> Keep meaning in it. What's the process of failure for, some of, those, for those, some of those who have not stood? I think, number one, there has to be a tolerance for a little sin. There has to be a tolerance for a little sin. Leaven puffs up. You understand, leaven in the Bible, you can, you can check me out on this, but leaven represents evil in the Bible. What does leaven do? Leaven is why what raises bread or raises cake or raises, you raise cookie. No, you probably don't do it. But I mean, if without leaven, it stays flat. That, when we take communion, that, that bread is unleavened bread. And Jesus, when he presented to them the Last Supper, he presented the bread unleavened because the Passover bread was unleavened. It was to the Old Testament back in Exodus. And it was all, it was consistent down through the Bible that leaven represented sin and impurity. And Christ, who is our Passover, presented himself as unleavened bread. A little leaven. Not a lot, a little. Don't let any concession to sin be in your life. Are you with it? 
Don't let a concession. Well, I just do this thing that's wrong a little bit. I just do this a little bit. It's just a little. Don't do it. Because it's like leaven. It doesn't take, I, I don't, I'm not a cook. But I understand that the little leaven, put in a bunch of, well, just, it'll, it'll, it'll eventually grow through the whole thing and raise it up. I think of Eli, example, Old Testament. Many of you know about Eli. Um, I don't know, for, in 1 Samuel, first few chapters there, most of you know the story. Eli was a godly man, looked like he did good, but he, his sons failed. And because he did not discipline them, and I believe it started out small. I think it was small things his sons did. His sons were committing adultery with, or committing immorality, committing fornication with the women who came, and they were stealing the Lord's offering, and and sacrileging. It was sacrilege. It was it was uh, mocking the offerings of God. The people of Israel did not want to come and offer their sacrifices. That's how bad a Hophni and Phinehas was. And so, he 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 taught. I believe he taught his son the word of God. And that's a big thing. I believe he raised them up in the house of God. That was a big thing. I believe Eli loved them and spent time with them. That was a big thing. But somehow or another, in his discipline to them, he did not pick up and made concessions for them. And those concessions started small and eventually grew to where they had no fear of God and where they were violating the clear commandments of God without any conscience. Amazing. And even when that was happening, Eli could have said, because he was a high priest, you are out of the priesthood. Does it make you upset when a preacher's got a son in the ministry and he goes easy on his son and not anybody else? Does that make you upset? I'll guarantee you, to the man and to the woman, each one of you would say, I don't like to see that. But you have seen it. It's because parents sometimes are blind to their own kids and they will allow their kids to do something that they'd correct another kid in a heartbeat over. That's what happened to Eli. Eli should have told Hophni and you are out of the ministry. In fact, to be honest with you, they should have been stoned for what they did. Should have been stoned. What's the Bible say? Well, here's what the Bible says. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 13. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever, that is God speaking to Eli, I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, look it up, 1 Samuel 3.13, and he restrained them not. Now, these boys were over 20 years old. They, They were already adults, but they were working for him in the temple as priests of God, and he knew what they were doing evil. He had heard the rumors of it. All he did was say, now, boys, you know better than that. You shouldn't be doing that. Verbal correction. Man, he should have threw them out of that thing. He should have come down hard on them. Parents, this is a warning to you. Do not let your kid get by with stuff that you wouldn't let anybody else get by with. Do not favor your child over any other child. It's wrong. God's not a respecter of persons. We're supposed to be like him. Little foxes. It was something small, but man, it was big. Man, it was big. The Bible said in Proverbs 19, 18, chasing thy son while there's hope. 
and let not thy soul spare for his crying. You, you people with small children, I'm sure. Some of you, from what I can tell, you're obeying that command. I used to spank Troy sometimes, and Kathy would try to intercede for him, and I'd say, stand back, woman. I'm the man of the house. I know what I'm doing. Don't let your wife make you go easy. I'd rather, I'd rather be guilty of being too hard than being too easy. Oh, that's not popular. You talk about politically incorrect. I'm right up there with Trump now. I'll guarantee you. I, I always, and Troy will say amen to this. If I was going to err in raising a kid, I was going to err in, 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 in teaching him that evil was wrong and there was pain associated with mistake, with sin, rather than going too easy on him like, like Eli did and, and excusing him like Eli did and overcompensating because, God forbid. Because what the parent does to his child is trying to get him ready for what God's going to do to you and treat you. And when we should chase the night, this is the Bible, Proverbs 19, 18. Proverbs 24, 14 says, Thou shalt beat him with a rod, and thou shalt deliver his soul from hell. A beating with a rod. Now, I know parents that have rods at home, they ain't going to tell you. You call Morgan and Morgan. Even our law says you can bruise your child and spank him if it doesn't last over three days. That's still our law on the books. It was just recently they used to spank kids at the school, at Estero High School up here. I tell you what, make it when a kid does wrong, he feels the pain for it. Because then you'll, you'll be taking care of the little things when they're small. I thank Jesus that I had a dad and a mom who loved me. And they weren't going to let me do anything that was wrong without having some punishment with it. I thank God when I came home drunk one night that, that they sold my car, which I paid for with my money, and, and it made me ride the school bus for six months. And my dad kind of roughed me up a little bit that night, and my mom called the police on me. Three guys come in with billy clubs, and she said, there he is. I thought I was going to get a royal whipping by them boys. You know what she was trying to do? Save me. She was teaching me, ooh, don't do that. I think of Solomon. He started out so good. My Solomon. We had high hopes for Solomon, amen? God said, I'm going to let you build the temple. David says, I'm going to build the temple. Oh, God says, you've killed too many people. Been a man of war from your youth. I want a man who, doesn't have, who hasn't shed blood, whatever reason. God said, I want a man who hasn't shed blood. And so we had Solomon. And Solomon, man, I mean, talk about a good start. Name something you want. Oh, wisdom and understanding. Oh, I'll give you wisdom and understanding. And then all the stuff you didn't ask for, you get that too. He ended up being the richest king probably to ever come and go. He was the wisest king to ever come and go. The beauty of Solomon's temple and, and the beauty of Solomon's throne and things was world-renowned. It was like a seventh wonder of the world. But most of you know how Solomon ended, don't you? He didn't end well, did he? Something, it's been said, David, I think, had four wives. In the Pentateuch, it said if you were a leader, you were not to have but one wife. David violated that three times. But what a parent does in moderation, the child will do in what? 
excess. Yeah. Condone a little something wrong in your life like David did, and it was and and look what happened to Solomon. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. That whole concubine thing, that is just a mystery to me from day one. Not a wife, not a deal, but it's just it's just how bad people get. You can find all that if you want to read it in 1 Kings chapter 11. The Bible said he loved many strange women. I talked about the strange woman this morning. Uh, they'll turn your heart. He says, if don't do it. 1 Kings 2, don't do it. They'll turn your heart away, your heart away to other gods. And the Bible says that they turned his heart away, and he ended up doing evil in the sight of the Lord. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 6. And he sacrificed to the abominations of the Moabites. He sacrificed to Molech, the abomination of Ammon, where they would where they would burn the children and play the drums not to hear their screaming. Solomon, who built the temple for Jehovah God. Now, let me say this. If Solomon, in, in an opportunity that he had, fell horribly, that could be me. That could be me. That's a warning to me. Bing, 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 bing. Do not make concessions for little wrongs, little sins in your life. It's the little foxes that destroy the vines. It's the flies, the little fly that destroys the whole medicine. It's the little leaven that leavens the whole lump. It's the little root of bitterness. The Bible says they'll end up defiling many. Don't do it. Don't do it by the grace of God. Go before God and say, if there's anything in my life that displeases me and you show it to me, I will move away from it. Would you do that? Would you be willing to go before God and say, if there's anything you bring to my mind that you, disp- you are displeased on, I will move away from it. I over and over will go to God. If there's something that you got, in, something in my life that's displeasing to you. So far, he has not mentioned the Harley. My wife has, but I, he has not. I had a bunch of videos, and I thought they were okay. God kind of brought my attention to them, and one day I gathered them. I said, okay, God, I gathered all of them, and, and uh, no, no, R, no R-rated, anything like that. I gathered them all together and took them out and burned them, and violated the EPA, burning plastic. I burned them. I'm not going to have it. I'm not going to have things in my house. The Holy Spirit says, I don't like that. I'm not going to do it. It's the little foxes. It's the little concessions. It's, it's, look, he's a, how many times, boy, you policemen in this room. He's a good boy. He just murdered two people and did this or did that. But he's, you don't know him. He's a good boy. I want to take that woman and say, he's not. And the reason he's probably a bad boy is because you kept saying he was a good boy when he was a bad boy. And the concessions start small, don't they? And they get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Correct my I think it was Chris Powell used to say, if you watch your pennies, you won't have to worry about your dollars. I mean, I'm gonna say amen. All accountants said amen. Watch your pennies, you don't have to worry about your dollars. Never been good at that, but nevertheless, it was the truth. And here at the gospel, 
We got Mrs. Most watching the pennies. We got the, we got the audit committee watching the pennies. By the grace of God, uh, we, we don't have to worry about the big stuff. We haven't gotten in trouble because we're looking at the little stuff. We care about it. We care about it. I think of the uh, space shuttle. My uh, God did something for me the day that the first, the first space shuttle blew up. I was on my way to work. May have you heard the story? I was on my way to work. I had a guy with me in my truck uh, laying floor covering, and I was going over the Fort Myers Coosahatchee uh, Bridge. Now, most of you know how long that is. And it's big, wide open. And I remember we were looking, and there was a contrail com trail of the space shuttle because I had it on the radio. And I just happened to be going across the bridge where I could look up, and there's the contrail. And I see that contrail, 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 contrail about up here. It goes to two contrails. And I go, I think I know a little bit about those rockets, and I don't think that's right. Of course, it was quiet. And eventually it came out to be that, yeah, it blew up, and both of the liquid rockets, or solid rocket fuel, they went off one to the left and one to the right. And I thought, something horrible has happened pretty soon on there. They said, we've had a failure. Was it a big failure? No. 99% of that rocket was perfect. Out of the five O-rings, I believe they said one failed. And that one O-ring failing caused a flame to go over onto the liquid oxygen tank or whatever it was and blew the whole thing up, killed all those people, destroyed the whole thing. And that is very a good picture of what happens to the Christian who's got every 98% of the life's right. 99% of your decision-making is in good shape, but you've allowed 1%. You've allowed a little fox to come in. You've allowed a little leaven to be in your life. And you say, it's all that bad. You know, he, you know, he does. I hear this all the time. It's people excusing because there's a lot of good in that person. There's a lot of, there's a lot of potential in that person. There's a lot of this. But I what you don't realize is a sin by its very nature is invasive. It's, it's insidious. I've had cancer. I go every couple months down to the uh, Florida Cancer Specialist and get among all them people that are doing chemo and all that stuff. And one doctor, I've seen a lot of uh, hematologists and oncologists, radiologists. And let me say one thing they all agree on. Cancer is insidious. One little cell. One little cell. When they cut something out, one little cell lodges in your brain. My dad had brain cancer. One little cell. One little cell. When I had my thyroid out, they thought they cleaned it up and good, took it out good and everything. I said, well, then I don't have to have radiation. I won't do radiation. Six months later, I had four tumors. One in my chest, one in my neck. One under here. He was saying, if you had one in the brain inoperable, you're shot. One in your one in your liver or something, you're shot. He says, son, you got to have radiation. So I went and took radiation. Killed those four and evidently killed everything else. Here I am. But I'm going to tell you something. I, one thing I learned about cancer is insidious, and that's sin. You let sin get in your life, and you, 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 you protect that little thing, and you hide that little thing, and you think you can take it. It's just like taking a tumor and putting it on your pancreas. And say, that's going to be all right. 
And compared to the 100% volume of my body, that's only less than 1% of the volume of my body. But that little 1% of the volume of your body is going to eventually come in and destroy your pancreas and destroy your liver and get into your brain and spread all over and consume you. And if, you're not, if you haven't figured out so far in life that sin is similar to that, you're in trouble. How deadly, Pastor Bill, is sin? It's that deadly that the Bible warns about the little sins, the little leaven, the little foxes, the fly. Don't let them in. But if God the Holy Spirit brings something to your mind, and maybe you're sitting here saying, Brother Bill, I know exactly what you're talking about. Already God's talked to me. God's already talked to me about this. And I've been, and that's something, that's that one last thing I don't want to let go. It's the one little thing I just want to hang on to. It's that one. But you know what? The Holy Spirit wants all of you. You know, it's where the Bible says you give all your heart to God with all your heart. God will not work with somebody that is not total. Amen? When, my, when I married my wife, Kathy, I didn't want her to say 95% of the time I do. Hannah. Getting ready to get married July 9th. Maybe. Somebody else asked me to marry him in October. Hmm. You guys are booking me pretty heavily. But when, when you do the vows, when I'm involved, you involved in me, you ask for it. You know, I don't even know why you'd want me to marry you. But anyway, when you do the vows, man, it's 100%. I don't want to get married to somebody that does 95, 98, 99. I want 100%, amen? I want for better or for worse. I want for richer or poor. I want till death do us part. I don't want to say, well, if I find somebody better down the way, I'm dusting you off. And with God, man, how much less will he live with that kind of attitude? Man, if I won't live with that kind of attitude, how much less will God live with that? Give God everything you got. So you, you have everything, Lord. You got every part of me all of me, and then God will come and he'll bless you and, and increase you and strengthen you and guide you. Will you have trouble? Sure you will, because everybody goes through trouble. This world, you're going to have tribulation, but that's all testing. That's all trying. The Bible says we're supposed to rejoice in James chapter 1 when our, when our faith is tried because it brings it forth like gold and it, it tempers it and gets rid of some of that dross, and God's in the process of doing that with every one of us. Father, we pray tonight that the Holy Spirit would come and explain this better than I could. We ask, Father, that the little things, oh my, my, the mature Christians that fall, it's not just one thing. It's not an all of a sudden failure. It is a little bit and a little bit and a little bit and a little bit, day after day, month after month, a concession of some, of some kind, a displeasing of the Holy Spirit, a quenching and a grieving of the Holy Spirit to where his power is gone and the devil has access and come in with that little root and defiles many. God, may that not be one person in the sound of my voice. May it not be here to gospel. May Lord Jesus, you have mercy upon us. In Jesus' name, amen.